0: Sponsored by the UCD Innovation Academy. You're listening to An Entrepreneur Like You with Dr. Lolly Mansi. Hi, I'm Dr. Lolly and you're listening to An Entrepreneur Like You. I'm an entrepreneur and a lecturer in UCD's Innovation Academy and I teach entrepreneurship, innovation and creativity. And I believe that entrepreneurs are both born and made. In this series, we won't be talking to the Elon Musks and the Richard Bransons of this world. We'll be talking to people just like you. Welcome to An Entrepreneur Like You with me, Dr. Lally. Today, my very special guest is Brian Downs, a self-professed performance nerd, but also a public speaker and all-round intrepid traveller and adventurer. Welcome, Brian. Hi,
1: Lally. Thanks. <laughs> Lovely to be here.
0: <laughs> Lovely big up for you there. Do you consider yourself an intrepid traveller?
1: Not really. No. I like travelling yeah. and I like going to places that people might not normally think of going. Yes. Uh, intrepid. Yeah. It, it seems like it's an adjective to live up to.
0: And how many countries have you been to so far?
1: 66. You're an intrepid traveller.
0: <laughs> 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 There's no question. All right. Well, let's talk, Let's unpack this a little bit then because I first met you um, on via LinkedIn and yes. then you came into the Innovation Academy Zoom mm-hmm. where I teach and you were talking to our students about what it takes to change a career really and sort of to to pivot, to to use an entrepreneurial expression, from one thing to the other. And you have quite a remarkable story uh, that you use as part of your your new business Mm -hmm. as well. Um, So uh, perhaps you could tell us and uh, tell our listeners a little bit about how you came to be sitting here in the radio studio.
1: How long have you got? (laughs) We've got about an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So okay, I I studied accountancy and I really didn't like it. Uh, I I don't think I would have been very good at it, and I subsequently never worked as an accountant. Okay. Um, I, How, why did you pick accountancy? Because my mother wanted me to. Okay, that's a very common story. Yes, yeah. and I had no clue what I wanted to do outside of that. To be perfectly honest. Yeah. Uh, so it seemed as good a place as any. Um, but no, I I really, it wasn't for me. Um, and when I finished college, I went off to Australia to play hockey. Right. Um, and. Were you semi-professional at that time? I, I was. Or? I was getting some money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was Getting some money, but uh, not enough. I I needed to have a right. job as well, uh, and I worked for um, Zurich Insurance. Okay. And they gave me a job as an account manager, uh, so I was looking after big brokers. And, yeah. And we, we did a. Uh, a small piece of their insurance business.
0: I see your mother was happy. I mean, accountancy, okay, it's gone by the wayside, but insurance is a good solid career. Yeah, <laughs>
1: it didn't last long. <laughs> um, it, while I was there, I, I did enjoy the people I was working with and I yeah. did enjoy the job and then... Uh, and Australia, it's nice. And Australia's a fabulous place to be. I, yeah. I loved living in Sydney. Yeah, uh, I stayed about a year and a half and then came home. Okay. Um, And I, again, not really sure what I wanted to do.
0: Was that because your visa was up or was that just because you needed to, you were homesick or was Well, my was visa reason? was up
1: after a year. Okay. Um, and I just wanted to go home, see my friends and stuff because I, I pretty much traveled on my own. Right. Um, and yeah, I was, I was kind of missing home a bit. And where is home? Uh, Limerick. Okay. But I was home about three months and it was like, Okay, why did I come home? <laughs> but, <laughs> the novelty wore off quickly. Yeah, yeah, it did. Well, it was nice to see the lads. We got out for a yeah, few beers, and, sure. you know, as you do. Um, so I did get a job. Uh, I can't remember the name of the company, but I only say they're a short period. And then I left because I was offered a, a job in account management again. Mm. Uh, I worked for a company called Excel, who have since been subsumed by DHL. Right. Um, in. Supply chain logistics. Okay. Uh, and I, I was what's called... <laughs> Exciting an, stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, it was actually pretty interesting. Um, there's like a whole language that's associated with, with uh, logistics yes. and, and supply chain stuff. But uh, I was what's called an agent account manager. So, you know, big companies like that, they don't have offices in every country in the right. world. Uh, and where they don't, they, they nominate a local company a, okay. a, as an agent. So I would have managed, I think, 20-something agent accounts in all sorts of... We're in wonderful countries. Okay, um, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, and uh, then I left. I stayed in that for two or three years. Three years, maybe. Um, and I left because I was getting married. Okay, uh, and I came back down to Limerick, and I got a job with a company called Expeditors. Same, same industry. Okay. Uh, big player in the in in the industry, uh, based in Seattle and Washington in, in the US. Wow. Um, and what age
0: were you at this point?
1: 28 I think
0: Okay are there Yeah
1: Yeah I got married at 28. So
0: you're starting to think about adulting
1: <laughs> Oh god yeah I, Yeah I, I'm still thinking about it <laughs> 20 years later Yeah um, And uh, I was a global account manager there I looked after Dell Yeah uh, A company called APC and Waterford Crystal Okay Um, It was a lot of fun Yes You know I, I did enjoy the business I, I enjoyed the work a lot of relationship stuff Yeah Um uh, did well, uh, and after a couple of years, it was time for me to move on again because I've had this itch all my life right. to work for myself or, or to be, to be in a business. Uh, while I was a student, I actually had a small business. I was okay, um, an agent for a company in the UK. The the company that sponsored me as a hockey player. Okay. Uh, they had a side business called the Hockey Centre but they sold lots of sports equipment and uh, I sold them to schools. Okay. And it was great. I enjoyed that. It, it tipped away. It, it didn't make a fortune. It was never going to be long term but it gave me a taste.
0: Well, that's interesting because most entrepreneurs I speak to can actually trace it back quite early. You know that they either that you know the the lovely Irish expression you didn't lick it off the path. You know, like kind of like where does it where does it come from? So, so you had an early kind of itch for entrepreneurialism. However, uh, you took the path that you know most of us take and parents approved path uh, of 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 sort of moving forward into sort of a solid career or sort of something with trajectory basically and scaling. And then the itch didn't go away. No. <laughs> okay. No. So, at what point does that start to become an issue and 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 rise up and supersede other things? It, it
1: for me, it kind of niggled away in the back of my head. Okay. You know, there was a constant reminder. I was on the lookout for opportunities. Yeah. When it's when it's there in your head, you're always kind of on the lookout. Yeah. Um, I went into a business with my ex-wife and her family. Okay. Um, and we grew a fairly substantial business. Um, so you're 28. You're getting married. Mm-hmm. Did you meet in Limerick? Uh, yeah, we had known each other for quite a while actually. Okay. Uh, so she was a friend of an ex-girlfriend of mine. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, and so by the time I went into that business with them, I was maybe maybe thirty-one.
0: Okay. And that's the point in which we yeah, say, 31. right, that's it. We we're, we're locking it down. You know, marriage, maybe kids, house, job. You know, yeah. that's when we start to go. Okay, stuff got serious.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it did, yeah, it did. Yes. Yeah, yeah. um, and you know, it wasn't the best move I ever made in in, in a sense. Right. Um, oh, the clarity uh, of twenty twenty hindsight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I did learn a lot too. So the, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of positives and negatives. Uh, but I did discover a fairly strong values conflict. Okay. Um, in, in terms of our approach to to things and. Uh, it, it, that niggled away at me for quite a while. Where, um, where
0: did that job take you? Were you, staying in, did you stay in Limerick or did you move with, with no, your No, I mean,
1: you know, for the last few years of it, there was a lot of time spent in West Africa. Okay. Um, uh, We we had taken a lease on um a palm plantation, an old palm plantation. It had been there since the 40s and 50s when the British okay. and Belgians were, were there and they abandoned Which country? it. country? Uh, that was in Nigeria. Okay. Um, So... Uh, a state called Imo State, okay. and then we took on a second one um, in a neighbouring state called Abba State. Right, uh, and combined it was about ten thousand hectares and wow. uh, six hundred and seventy-five thousand trees. Wow! Uh, it was so, you know, now it, it it wasn't a case of we had to slash and burn jungle and habitats and all that. It was already there. Right, right. Um, and that was that was really interesting. And there was a few other things going on in Nigeria for us at the time. Yeah. Um. There was some construction stuff happening there, and and uh, uh, some uh, production. So we were manufacturing blocks, and and uh,
0: uh, what's that, that like going from Limerick to Nigeria?
1: It, I'd been to Africa a few times before that. Okay. So it wasn't a complete culture shock. <laughs> right. Um. It's it's very different yeah. for sure. Um. I have to say I love Africa. Yeah. I lo- I mean. I I haven't met anybody who's in the middle. Yeah. either people love it or hate it. Right. I have to say I love going back there. I mean Nigeria can be a da- can be a dangerous country. Yeah. Um, and you got to be careful. I've ha- I had some interesting moments there. <laughs> um, but West Africa is a whole. It's it's a corrupt part of the world for sure. Yes. Um,
0: and doing business but, there is is a is a, a complex set of relations.
1: Yes, it is. Yeah. Um. They have incredible resources yes. that are poorly managed. Yeah. Um, even just simply agriculturally, you know, it, it's, it is an amazing place. Yeah. It really is. And I met some incredibly smart people um, who are somewhat stymied by political interventions and, and political corruption. Right. And of course the
0: legacy of colonialism, you know, which, Mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, the exploitation of their resources as well, you know, and, and so how, how did you, how did you engender trust with, with, with working out there and being a business person out there? You don't. Okay.
1: It's the honest answer. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. Yeah. you cover your back, and they cover their backs, and everybody nobody really trusts anybody. But, hope for the best. <laughs> but it did lots of smiles and handshakes, um, and right. it, you, then you kind of hope for the best. Yeah. Um, my my brother-in-law at the time, he was the CEO of the company. He did a lot of the 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 legwork in terms of being out there first, right? Um, and and building the relationships, uh, and built some strong political relationships there, yeah. which helped. Yeah. Um, but. There's downsides to that too, and, and and you know, politicians will take advantage of any, sure. any resources they can they can see. Sure. Um, but it was a very interesting time, mm. um, and, and I enjoyed Nigeria for for everything, um, but a very tough place to do business business. And I don't think I'd want to go there and do business again.
0: Top three things you like about it.
1: <sighs> Top three things: vibrancy. Yeah, it is vibrant. There is such a strong entrepreneurial spirit in in in, in Nigeria, mm-hmm. and, and actually in a lot of West Africa, in the sense that there's no social safety net. Right. Um,
0: it's a, a very often a desire and need brings forth uh, entrepreneurialism. Yeah.
1: So you know you you drive along a road in 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 Lagos or any of the big cities, uh, and you you're stopped in traffic, you're stopped at, at an intersection, whatever it might be, you will have people come up to your car trying to sell you all sorts of things. Right. From chewing gum to clocks. Right. To, to all sorts of things. And it, it, that is entrepreneurialism at, at its core, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and everybody is is trying to start a business in their, you know, you've got all sorts of, when you're European or, or American, um, you've got to use facilitators who are local people right they all have to get a cut and, you know things like that it's 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 alive and well there it's not it's not always uh, above board but it's alive and well there yeah um so yeah vibrancy it really is vibrancy it, it's alive people are moving about a lot and yeah. and, and talking a lot and doing stuff so yes. i like that yeah um i liked the greenery believe it or not yeah red earth yeah but lots of greenery yeah, um, and when you when you move outside the cities, it's a very lush environment. Um, and then I guess the the third thing was the people. Yeah, for good and for bad, they are what they are. Yeah. Right? As I said, I met some brilliant people. I met some awful people too. <laughs> sure, but they are people being people and doing their thing. Just like
0: round the road here, it'd be exactly the same. You know, yeah, they're, yeah. They're
1: trying to get ahead. They're trying yeah. to. They're trying to do something. Yes, some would seal the eye out of your head. Others. <laughs> Are really thoughtful and 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 smart and 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 want to provide uh, help and support. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they'd be the top three things, I guess. Yeah. Uh, lots of opportunity there too. Yeah. But again, having to navigate the very complex. Political structures of, of a country like Nigeria is is difficult.
0: Well, it's a, it's a, a certain set of you know, it's a certain skill set that you develop. I think in 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 working overseas, and obviously each culture is different. You have to learn to navigate that. But part of that is you've got to be a people person. You've got to enjoy mm-hmm. people. You've got to enjoy conversation, and you've also got to be able to go with the flow an enormous amount mm-hmm. to sort of say, okay, this isn't what I'm used to, but it's just different.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: you must be very adaptable.
1: You have to be. Yeah, You have to harden a bit as well, though. I mean, yeah. I'll give you an example. So yeah. w- when you arrive in, in the airport in Lagos, um, it looks like it, it's a big airport, right? And you you, you get off the plane, you've got to walk for what seems like forever to get to baggage claim. But baggage claim is essentially a hole in a wall. Bags come out and they're just <laughs> right. putting a big pile on the floor, right? And you've got to yeah. dig out your bag. And when you, once you get your bag, you start to move towards the exit. And there's a guy there who... Uh, checks vaccination cards. Right. So, obviously, West Africa, you have to have a a variety of vaccinations. Right. Um, And his trick is that he will, he will, typically, he'll, he'll pull Europeans or yeah. or, or uh, Americans or anybody who doesn't look Nigerian, I guess, or, or African, uh, and look to see the, the cert and, and he will invent a problem with the cert.
0: <laughs> now, is this a government official?
1: <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> right, okay. Yes, it is. Uh, and he will invent uh, uh, an issue with it. So he he looked at mine, he invented an issue and I just said, no. <laughs> right. No, he said, well, you have to go to the hospital. So, okay, give me that one. let's go to the hospital. And he says, oh, okay, go on, go. Because he doesn't want the hassle of bringing you to the hospital. Right. But also he knows there's no point. No. He wasn't going to get a penny from me. Yeah. But uh, we had some guys coming from Ireland to do some work who got caught. And yeah. one guy in particular, and I won't say his name, but uh, <laughs> he got done for 100 euros. Right. Which was, Ouch. <laughs> a, you know, a big chunk of this guy's monthly salary. Who yeah. was really happy that he got 100 euros, I'm so sure. But he's doing this on every flight that comes in. Yeah. Yeah. you got to harden up and say No. Yes, uh, you'll you'll have you'll have figures of authority like like police and military people looking for bribes as well. Yeah, of course, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah, and you've just got to say no. Yeah, um, and then you've got to use your head because sometimes they can be a bit aggressive. I had an, uh, an experience in Port Harcourt Airport uh, with the guy who was very aggressive, mm. um, and uh, I gave him no. Oh, it might have amounted to a fiver, yeah, but it was still. I I, I don't like doing it. But I, I gave. me you've got to weigh up your awesome own problem. personal safety for sure. Yeah, and I was on my own, so.
0: Yeah, but it, you know, you're a you're a, you're a big solid guy, so you know <laughs> you, you could probably get away with a lot more than
1: most. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So you um, got,
0: you're starting at a, t- a point of advantage there. I, I, think. I can
1: be aggressive when I need to be. <laughs> yeah. I I don't particularly like it, but I can be if I need to be. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, it's a fascinating place, and uh, uh, and I think I told you the story about. Getting arrested in Ghana, yes, uh, which was so again, pursuing a, a, another deal,
0: uh, yeah,
1: trying to uh, an Italian biodiesel company looking for palm oil but didn't want to pay full market rate. Main market is Indonesia, Malaysia, right? We started to look at West Africa because that used to be the palm oil belt, yes. Um, long story short. My my brother in law who's CEO said, Can you go to Ghana tomorrow? This was in, in December 2010. Yeah. I said, Sure, yeah. Okay. What are we going for? And he, he told me he had a guy who he thought could supply these people. Um and I said, Okay, what about fees? He said, Yeah, it's fine, I got le- I got letters from the embassy. As it turns out, he didn't get letters from the embassy. He got <laughs> he got them from Frank. Uh, and when we got to the airport in Accra and handed over our passports and the letters, we were told, these are fake. Right. Um and they this was like one o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Or Friday morning. I can't really remember now. But um yeah, they they said, Okay, follow follow us and they started marching towards the exit. I thought, Great, they're just gonna put us in a taxi, give us a slap in the wrist and say, Right, sure. Be careful. They didn't. They veered left and down into the bowels of the airport and Uh-oh. and uh, we met several other people and conversations and... we had uh, been there years. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, pleading, I ah, look, just send us back, we'll be fine, it's, yeah. no, it's no issue, we, we apologise. And they then said, no, no, you're going to the cells. So nice. Like, oh, God, okay, so, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, six six or seven armed <laughs> soldiers or immigration officials, I'm not sure what they were, they all wear uniforms, uh, came along and marched us up, to the car park and put us in 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 jeeps. Oh my god! Uh, it turned out to were actually really nice fellows. Once you got in there, <laughs> well, once they got out of the airport, they, yeah. were, they were fine. They, yeah. they weren't that scary at all. They wanted to know where, where we were from, and what we were doing there, and right. how did we get cars and all the rest. But they still had to bring us to the immigration compound uh, through the big steel gates um, wow. and marches into uh, a single story kind of prefab looking building. Right, uh, and when we got in there you you go through the door it was obviously it was it was dark on the left i could see that there was like um a jail that prison door jail door bars right, bar yeah, door yep. Uh, and i could i could sense that there was people there i could yes. see the whites of eyes yeah uh, and then straight ahead of me there was another cell that looked separate yeah uh, and there was a body on the floor oh god uh and it seemed to be a woman um and then up to my right there was a, a small office with a light on. So I said, I'm going there. <laughs> <laughs> Went to the office, sat down, and said, "No, you have to go to." Says, "No, I'm not going to the. cell. I'm staying here." Yeah. Um, we were carrying some cash. Right. Um, and uh, they didn't find they didn't search us or anything straight right. away. But when they left that small office, I took the cash and yeah. shoved it into my underwear. Yeah. Um, but that would that cash became useful. So, over the next. I guess, 16 hours we were questioned a bunch of times we we handed over some cash but every time i took a 10 dollars bill or a 20 dollars bill out of my 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 <laughs> stash i had giggled to out myself of my underpants. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't know where that came from and they used us uh, as bait to try and catch frank okay in a hotel okay. in in Accra
0: you're in a sting That's so exciting we were in a
1: sting yeah <laughs> uh, and f- i think frank smelled a rat you know he didn't turn up uh, even though he told us he would wow um and uh, anyway, look, about six o'clock that that evening, they said right, we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna go back. Uh, I got in the in the jeep and I asked the guy next to me because it was about fifteen armed guards there. Yeah, said, what would you have done if he came in and without missing a bee, he said shoot him. <gasps> and I got chills.
0: This is why I called you an intrepid traveller.
1: <laughs> it was it was <laughs> it was scary, but anyway, back to the airport and and uh, we were sent home that that night. Uh, back to back to London. I. Got in the plane, I fell asleep, and then didn't wake up until the wheels hit the ground in London. Wow! It was a, a mad experience. These are the things that are, they can happen when you're doing that kind of kind of stuff. When you're, you know, trying to do business in in, in some places wild as West Africa. Wow! It's a great place, though. I've I've been <laughs> back. I've been I've been back to Ghana.
0: We're gonna leave it there, and after the break, we're gonna come back and dig into what you did after that crazy experience.
1: Broadcasting from the Dundrum Town Centre, this is Dublin South
0: FM. Welcome back to an entrepreneur like you. So, Brian, the last time we left you, you just escaped from a sting. Yeah. <laughs> You're now back in London. And uh, to, let's jump forward a little bit. I mean, because, you know, you left that life. Um, mm. And so what was the sort of the catalyst into making some changes there?
1: I mentioned earlier on that there was a bit of a values conflict. we did things right. differently, and we looked at at the world differently, and we looked at business differently, and we looked at people differently in particular yeah, um, and that was causing a lot of stress for me, right. internal stress um and I realized look, I need to walk away from this yeah i and I may walk away from it with nothing but experiences, and I'm okay. I had to be okay with that now it took me a little time to get of course comfortable with yeah, that yeah uh, and then I started to study again and and I wanted to do something with people. Yeah, I like people. I think I'm good with people. Um, so I started doing. I, I I did a coaching qualification and I did some training um, uh, qualifications and um, uh, some applied psychology and behavioural science and bits and pieces. Not, Are not big Are you back courses. in Limerick at this point? Uh, I'm i I'm, I'm in Limerick at this point. Yeah, and uh, uh, in in West Limerick actually. Okay. I was living Newcastle West at the time. Um, but started to kind of build up my own knowledge base and skills, yeah. uh, knowing that I wanted to do something with people, uh, and and then actually leapt without knowing what specifically I was going to do. Yeah, um, and I start my first my first um, venture beyond that was was something called Planet for Life. I was helping people lose weight, okay, um, using the coaching skills and and and. Uh, and, well, you have an athletic background. I right? do, yeah. I do. But I, I had actually had to lose five stone because I got a bad injury. Okay, and I was out for two years, and I put on a lot of weight. That's now, happens now with yeah. the background that I had, it wasn't that much of a challenge to to lose it. Okay, uh, so your back background
0: what, was hockey and rugby.
1: I, I played lots of sports. Lots of sports. Lots okay. of sports. Okay. Yeah, um, and and uh, I was used to eating well and and, and things like that. So I, I went back to what I knew. Yeah, uh, and I, I managed to lose all that weight. Uh, and so I thought, okay, but that's that's a, a fairly recent experience. That's something that people want. So yeah. let me start with that. I hated it.
0: It's 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 a lot, isn't it? Because you've, you've, you're transitioning from a marriage, you're transitioning from a business related to you know to to that relationship. You're transitioning from travel into being back in Limerick, and you're now transitioning also from an injury uh, into you know losing weight. It's a complete reinvention.
1: Pretty no, I was still married at this stage. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so this would have. Been, when I started this, it would have been around, um, i got in the wheels moving in, in late 2010 while I was still involved in that. Uh, and then this would have been kind of it, beginning of the second quarter in, okay. in 2011. Okay. I, I really just had cut ties. Right. And uh, I had a small gym in a building okay. uh, as well. But I really didn't enjoy it. Right. Uh, it didn't do <laughs> anything for me, you know. <laughs> It, it just, it just wasn't, it met lovely people. Yes. But I didn't enjoy it. Said, right, okay, it's not your thing. What's yeah. the lesson you've learned? About? Go back to, go back to what you know and start there. So I know business. Yeah. um So I started writing um, LinkedIn, on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, I started putting myself out there a bit. Yes. Yeah. And um I picked up a few clients. Yeah. um my first year uh, focused on business. Yeah. I turned over the princely sum of, about six grand. <laughs> <laughs> a bit scary. Yeah, but nonetheless. Well,
0: especially having you know gone from the juncture where you were at, like yes. kind of like so, yeah.
1: So, uh, a lot of learning in that. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's hard
0: uh, to go on your own. It's hard to get started.
1: Yeah, especially in something like that. Yeah. Um, because a lot of it is reputational and and right. um, and a lot of networking involved, which I didn't do a huge amount locally. Right. Um, but. LinkedIn was actually really big help because I picked up a few yeah, good clients it. from that in yeah. the second year. Right. Uh, my and my first proper business client that I did a, a decent amount of work for was a company in Waterford. A, a brilliant woman called Regina Mangan, whom who I'm still in touch with. Um, and from there, I started to pick up more pieces.
0: Yeah, because it's building blocks, right? It's yeah. you lay the foundations and then you just build upon the previous clients. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And at that stage, I, I, I was still working on my own. Um, in 2014, I my marriage finally separated at okay. that stage um, uh, but I'd also met a guy called John McNamara um, prior to that kind of late 2013 in a kind of a, a networking group yeah. thing uh, we hadn't met before but both from Limerick both have similar enough backgrounds yeah. Um, and we got to talking and, and we found that we had a lot in common yeah. a lot of similar philosophies uh, and we thought well why don't we try to do something because he was involved in coaching as well right? Um, so why don't we try to do something
0: So you're again. It goes back to this values alignment, you know, of it being so important because the thing that you had in common with him was your values aligned, mm -hmm. and therefore you decided, you know, maybe we could grow something from these values. Absolutely. What would those values be?
1: People were 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 important. Yeah. Um, And I suppose a value around helping people grow.
0: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Whereas before in your training, you've been helping people shrink. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, to, yeah,
1: to a bit, yeah, uh, to, to, to an extent. So yeah. it, it was really about um, getting involved in, and and having conversations with people, yeah, uh, and that kind of were meaningful, right? Um, and we started with uh, transition years in secondary schools, right? Great. We had this great idea. Wouldn't it be wouldn't it be wouldn't it have been great if when we were kind of fifteen or sixteen, we knew then what we know now?
0: 100 percent, yeah.
1: Of course it would. Yeah. So we we put something together and and put it out to some schools and. And uh, we, we did it for a, a, maybe three years, mm. three, four years, I guess. I still uh, think TY
0: is a missed opportunity for a lot of students. It is. Yeah. It
1: is. Now, it's not, a, it's not really a business opportunity, though. Yeah. So because, look, schools, they don't have budget. That's and true. And they can't pay very much. We did it for a love of doing it. And we, we had our own income separately anyway. Okay. Um, but it really was a lot of fun. We had some incredible conversations with 15 and 16-year-olds. Yeah, I mean, they're amazing. From the absolutely ridiculous to inspiring, yeah. And then one day, John—it was John—suggested, "Why don't we do something for business? Because we we were both yeah. operating independently in, in business environments." Uh, so we did. We came up with something called Speaker Incubator, which was around um, helping people present. Yeah. And we ran it as an open thing. We we put it out in LinkedIn and invited people to. to pain. Calm. Well,
0: they do say that people fear public speaking more than
1: death. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, so, there, it, was a, it was a survey in psychology today uh, yeah. and yeah, uh, public speaking was at the top of the list. I think yeah. death was fourth. <laughs> Strange, but yeah. there you go. Yeah, um, And that went really, really well and that led to two guys from a particular company were, were at the first one we did yeah. in Dublin and they went back to their head of HR told them how it went and that person wanted a meeting with us. Yeah. So we had a chat and said, look, would you come in and do it in-house? Which we did. And that led to more things within that company. And that kind of really is where, is where Performance Nerds started. Okay. Um, now so we,
0: Speaker Incubator go leads into Performance Nerds. Talk to me about the transition between what one looked like and now
1: what it looks like. The, the Speaker Incubator was just kind of like uh, an informal joint venture. Yeah. We both had our own companies. We still do have our, have, our, have separate companies. Right. And once we delivered it a few times, we'd done, we'd done it both in, both in-house and publicly. We thought, okay, well, look, maybe we should form an entity around this and, and see where else we can take it. Yeah. So we did. We came up with the name Performance Nerds, really liked it because <laughs> our focus is on performance. Yeah. And we're nerdy about it. <laughs> right. Kind of does what sense. it says on the yeah. tin. Got it. Um, and uh, so we, we we started to delve into the deeper stuff that we would have done on our own separately. Right. Team development leadership development in particular. Right. And I have a, a cheesy acronym for team development model that we use. Right. Trust, engagement, alignment and mehel. Okay. Mehel being an Irish word uh, that translates to cooperative work group. But really yeah. for us, it represents that kind of community spirit. Yeah. Right. Helping helping each other out because we're all in the same boat. Right. And the leadership piece. And, and, and you can hang a, a whole bunch of stuff off of those. Yeah. Because when you work, with the, with the two models, so team and, and what we call connected leadership, it's really about connecting with other humans, it shows up uh, needs. Right. Right. Learning needs, uh, skills needs, a lot of which we can do ourselves, um, but we use other people to, to to fill gaps also.
0: And in with your experience in coaching people in this sort of form of, of progression or sort of evolution, I suppose, is it that we don't know how to openly communicate? Or what is... The- the biggest problem that we're facing in being able to be understood be heard
1: I, I think we hide too much from the important conversations
0: okay. the difficult ones yeah. I, generally in life
1: yeah I believe leadership is broken yeah right broadly speaking
0: well it's, it's not management right it's not managerial it's not micromanagement and you must do this this and this leadership is is, is what it's it's
1: it's very hard to define yeah. but I would separate the two leadership is about people yes it's about creating a vision it's about Connecting with people, it's about making people feel valued. But ultimately, it's about helping people engage with their work. Right. Right. And, and that's the area where I think, or I believe, or I know that leadership is broken. Because people aren't engaged. So, I mean, you look at Gallup, they do this Global Employee Engagement Survey. Right. They, they By their reckoning, only about 35% of employees are actively engaged in their work. Right. It's embarrassingly though. Yeah. And that's a leadership problem.
0: And so you know, I've heard all sorts of horror stories over the years about sort of you know motivational leaders that that go in and they're like happy clappy, come on, woo, let's go, we got to mm-hmm. do this, guys, and we're all a team. And you know, as soon as they've left the room, everyone's rolling their eyes, going, "Well, I have the same stuff to do every day, and it's killing me." You know, mm-hmm. and like kind of they're just not engaged. Is it that they're not buying? Is it they're not buying into the the company, the work, the ethos? Is it where does the fault lie, and where can the change be made? I,
1: I don't think there's one fault line. Right. I think there's many. Yeah. And I, I think the issues with leadership are layered.
0: Yeah.
1: I think it starts with hiring and we've got to hire the right people for the job. We've got to under, really understand that this person is is going to be really good at this job. I had a mentor used to say, if the job could talk, what would it say that it needs for superior performance?
0: <laughs> I love that. I, I love it too. And <laughs> yeah.
1: I've, I've used it many times. Yeah. And it, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Right. But then you've got to you've got to keep people interested. So once... You hire well, yeah. and you're pretty happy. that An individual can do the job well. Then they've got to they've got to come into your environment. Now right. Within a company, companies do something, but that I call culture PR. Right. Right. Basically, they lie and they tell. They <laughs> yeah. This is a wonderful place to work. Right. Great place to work, and then you get inside, and it's like, oh, this isn't what you promised me. Right. Instantly, uh, you've lost trust. Yes. And engagement is damaged. Right. Uh, or. Maybe it is good when you get in there. Maybe it is what they said it would be. And then you have uh, a difficult altercation or the company makes a decision that actually really goes against your values and doesn't really talk about it and right. doesn't engage with you in a conversation around it. That that will damage engagement. Mm. Or there's the, the scope creep on the job. What you started with and where you are after a year. Scope you're creep. still doing like the original that. job and you're doing yeah. two other jobs as well. Right,
0: which is very common at the moment. It yeah. is,
1: for sure. Um, so the. the there are numerous issues that, for me, they will always come back to engagement. Is somebody mm. really engaged in the work?
0: I think, you know, over the years we've had, so, you know, we had the term organizational learning. We have sort of, you know, uh, organizational culture and sort of, you know, you need to fix the culture. And sort of over the years, many phrases being bandied around for the same issue, which is that work is broken. Mm-hmm. It's not just leadership, and you know, there's some some wonderful people like Bruce Daisley, who was working for Twitter and now is is, is, is solo. You know, talking about sort of make work less, you know, make work suck less. You know, I think is his yeah. tagline. You know, so we have a do we have an opportunity now? you know, or is it just a two-dimensional opportunity or the illusion of an opportunity where we can start to have a dialogue about what needs to change in the form of work? Because we've inherited this work model from the Industrial Mm -hmm. Revolution. You know, this idea of certain hours and clocking in and clocking out. And actually, COVID's shown us that people are um, uh, supremely productive at home and can work to their own hours and very flexible. On the other hand, we've got, you know, people saying, okay, we need a four-day work week and sort of we need to get more flexibility. Where do you see that sort of sweet spot between what people are asking for and what industry is demanding. You know, is there a dialogue going on between those two things or are we just shouting into the air?
1: I think there's a, there's probably a dialogue going on, but we're not having the conversation together.
0: Right, I would agree. Yeah.
1: Right. I I think, you know, senior leadership teams are saying one thing and they're saying all the right things to be heard. Yes. And then doing something else. and And then people who are further down the food chain are saying, are desperately saying that we desperately need a change we need to do something different we you know there's opportunities here we can we can innovate we can right you know but they're not really being heard
0: well you know <laughs> i'm sure you know which company i'm talking about or referencing but that you know just putting a football table and bringing your dog into work is you know is not producing the results that Drives people wanted uh, yeah, me too. And, you know, that that particular company very recently had a mariachi band when they welcomed everybody back into the office, you know, and, and actually that added to the psychological stress that people were under, mm-hmm. um, rather than sort of detracting from it. So it doesn't matter how Disney you make your company or how fun <laughs> it appears mm-hmm. to be on the surface and painted in all sorts of different primary colors. The issue is the dialogue is not occurring, and so you've got the infantry down on the you know down on the ground, mm-hmm. sort of you know being a, having a scope creep, as you said, mm-hmm. which I really like, um, and being absolutely overloaded. You've also got this idea that, especially in tech, that you know you're dispensable, um, mm-hmm. and so does it come down then to the very basics of all humans need to be loved, seen, and heard? You know, it's is is it that basic psychologically?
1: I don't, know, I don't know if they need to be loved, but they need to be valued. Yeah. They need to feel valued. Yeah, that's and, what I mean by that. And <laughs> that's got to go beyond lip service, Yeah, which is a lot of what happens. And, you know, organizations are are starting to, to change a yeah. bit, but it's really, really slow. And, you know, these things can happen from the bottom up. Right. But not very often because you require a really big movement to, 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 to force right. leadership to change. The best way to do this is from the top down. And there's a reluctance to do that. Yeah. And the, the most dysfunctional teams I see. Yeah. Are leadership teams.
0: I would completely agree. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. So you know, in, in terms of an ideal situation, then uh, we talk a lot about sort of what isn't working, and we know what we all know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. What would be an ideal leadership style?
1: It's situational. Right. So, are you, are you familiar with Daniel Goldman's six leadership styles? Yes. Okay. Maybe just expand to tell the listeners. So, uh, Daniel Goleman, um, psychologist, really, really brilliant guy, um, popularized the notion of emotional intelligence, the, the 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 model of emotional intelligence. He didn't he didn't find it, but he popularized it. Uh, and he talks about six leadership styles. So, no, hopefully, I, I hope I can remember them all off the top of my made. So you've got uh, commanding, yes, visionary, uh, pace setting, uh, affiliative, democratic, and coaching. Right, so those, those six styles have a variety of uses. Yes. Uh, and some of them are very useful, some of them are damaging if yeah. you use too much. Right. I think the beauty of that model is that actually the best leaders can use all six. Yeah. And they know when to use them. That's it's the like
0: thing. having a toolkit, right? I mean, yeah. you know, and you've got six colors in your palette and you're applying them liberally, mm-hmm. but you're applying them equally.
1: It yeah. doesn't make for great art, but it might make for yeah, great leadership. It, it, but it, it is all about leading in situations, Yeah. right? Uh, and, you know, the, the commanding one is is probably the legacy type leadership. It's right. that a- authoritarian type right. leadership, uh, which happens to be the most damaging. Yes. But it's really, really useful in a crisis. Okay, yeah. Right, so, completely. gosh, but you've got to go to A&E and yeah. and you are hurt. You want your Someone any to doctor? Courage. Yeah, absolutely. You, I want him to be commanding or her to be commanding. Yeah, say this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. You do that. You do that. Yeah, perfect. That that's the kind of leadership I want to see there. But in an organization, you can't. In a business organization, you yeah. can't do that all the time. You can't lead that way all the time because people just you're get a dictator. Tired.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, it yeah. becomes a reflection of the business becomes a reflection of the leader and, and what the leader has demanded.
0: In your out of those six, which trait would you say is most like you? Um, I've, I've been asked this all the time
1: I hate answering. But, uh, <laughs> I thought uh, I was being so original. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably uh, probably visionary because I like to tell stories and, 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 and paint pictures of what could be. Fantastic.
0: We're going to take a short break and then we're going to hear about how visionary you could be because I want to hear about these 66 countries. <laughs> Talk to you after the break.
1: Your community radio for South Dublin. Oh! Dublin South FM.
0: Well, just before the break, we uh, were discussing your visionary style. Um, And I I would agree that most entrepreneurs share a visionary element, but uh, most of them would be, uh, most of the entrepreneurs that I would meet would be calculated risk takers um, rather than Mm -hmm. the sort of reckless risk takers because there are less than 1% of all entrepreneurs really because most of them, they're the ones we hear about, the wild ones. But also there's sort of a calculated risk uh, in in being able to move forward in business and to be able to see opportunities. So for me, I think entrepreneurialism is a combination of hard work, insight, you know that sort of visionary quality, um, and then you know potentially timing. Mm-hmm. So so you know and um, but in terms of this other side of you, this intrepid traveler side of you, um, that I know you do incorporate into your training and you talk about sort of some of the mountain climbing and mm-hmm. other things that you've done. Let's let's talk about some of your favorite travel experiences because um you're just recently back from Mongolia. Yes.
1: yes. Yeah.
0: What what, a, what how did that happen?
1: What an incredible
0: place. I'm so jealous. I've but, always yeah. wanted to go to Mongolia. <laughs> I'm gonna now
1: put it on my list. Well I was actually supposed to go in March 2020. Right. Um I came across an event called called the Mongol One Hundred. Right, uh, it's run by a company in the UK called Rat Race, uh, owned by Jimmy, really brilliant guy. They organise really big events in the UK, but this is part of what they call the Bucket List series. Okay, I, I was it. just about to yeah. say this sounds very so, bucket list. So, I mean, in that Bucket List series, you've got Panama, you've got Iceland, you've got the Arctic Circle, you've got Mongolia, you've got uh, Patagonia. And in, is it, the, you
0: say it's Mongol 100, so is it that you have to visit 100 countries? No, or? So,
1: so the Mongol 100 is essentially uh, crossing 100 miles of, of frozen lake in uh, northwestern Mongolia. Uh, well, that's when it's really When it's really cold. <laughs> uh, and and the, Why would anyone want to do that, Brian? <laughs> why not? It's exciting, that's adventure. Uh, you're right, you're absolutely over right. Over four days. So Lake Kovsgol is the lake there's a permanent camp at the, at the southern end and at the northern end. How long does it take you to get to one camp? Uh, to get to the southern mm. camp uh, took us the bones of two days, uh, traveling tra- traveling from home, right? Okay. And then uh, you we went in in minibuses to the northern end. Okay. And then we came back down. So okay. The, okay. The coming back down is, is four days.
0: Okay, that's the, uh, that's
1: the crossing the lake part. Yeah, that's the crossing the lake. Bit.
0: You're on a lake
1: the whole time for four days. Yes.
0: Do you have to sign an insurance waiver for this? <laughs> uh,
1: no, but but well, what you, if you don't come you get, back? You get you get special insurance and and okay. uh, intrepid traveler insurance, um, international SOS, it's called. Oh, Wow, okay, um, is the company that provide? There's a few companies, but they're they're the one. that I, I imagine I, it, I, that it just I says is.
0: you're on your own. Good luck. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, they they provide support in terms of. Um, extraction and repatriation and yes. uh, if there's if there's a military action or severe weather or things like that. Okay, okay. Um, so they'll send the helicopters.
0: That's what Bear Grylls
1: has, right? He has that. I, I presume so. <laughs> well, he's got a helicopter to take him back to his hotel every night. <laughs> yeah, that was so I heard. Uh, that's You're very, more that's very mean. him. <laughs> that's very mean. I shouldn't say that. that, that that's not necessarily true. But um, uh, yeah, so four days down, down, down the lake, uh, really really cold oh clearly uh I think you know average nighttime temperature minus 30 it got it got a bit colder than that on, on one particular night daytime uh temperatures kind of minus 15 to minus 20.
0: how do you prepare for a trip like that um you're gonna say the, running barefoot Karen uh, yeah. or something there's there's
1: else there's not a lot you can do in terms of the temperature yeah uh, other than that just sitting it's just, in the freezer yeah other than that it's, it's just walking okay you know it, it's but it's it's walking, so,
0: it's walking on very thick ice I mean how yes.
1: okay how thick are we talking about oh you're talking 1.5 to two meters thick okay, right? okay. It, it, I mean it, this is thick ice something really cool actually in the morning time so we'd be up before the sun rose yeah uh, but as the sun started to come up and the air started to get a bit warmer yeah. not much it was still bloody cold yeah uh, but the ice would start to expand and I, boom wow. as as the ice shifted and stuff uh, and now I knew to expect it okay. But still, you're standing out on, on this lake and you hear these big cracks and it went on for maybe 45 minutes to an hour. I would die. <laughs> uh, but it's incredible to hear. Yeah. Right. It really is. And, and this year there was a lot of snow on the ice so the sound was kind of muffled and sound sounded almost even more sinister. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was very cool. Uh, the sunrises and sunsets, Unbelievable. I mean, spectacular. How many of you were there? Um, there was 20... Uh, 24, I think. From, that were non-Mongolians, so that that was a crew as well as everything else. Yeah. And then we had a crew of maybe fifteen uh, local Mongolians that were helping out, right? Um, driving things and setting up camp and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, but it was. And there. do they
0: do they not look at you and go, "Look
1: at these mad people coming out here to walk across the lake"? Not really. No, no. I mean they live there. They <laughs> yeah. They're they, they brought up. I mean, the kindest, gentlest, loveliest people you meet. Yeah. But tough as nails. Yeah, you'd have to. I mean, be. resilient as they come. Yeah. Um, subsistence living for most. Right. Uh, all the houses are, are built from wood that's taken from the local right. area. Right. They're wearing
0: furs from things they've
1: skinned. They are, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but incredible people. Are you dressed head to toe in Patagonia? Uh, <laughs> North Face is my North choice. North Face, okay. Yes, North Face is my choice. Um, but yeah, incredible. Sponsorship people. possible. <laughs> yeah. And anybody from North Face, face listening, yeah, Dolly can put you in touch with me. Um, but yeah, it was it was an incredible experience. It was yeah. about so much more than crossing the lake. It was it was yeah. really a cultural experience. Right. Um, I got to spend a day in Ulaanbaatar as well on the way back. I had a full day to myself there, um, and and I just walked all around the city. It, again, incredible. An incredible place. Very vibrant. The traffic is the worst I've ever seen anywhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really interesting. Interesting food. Like there's soups and stews in in Mongolia.
0: There's a lot of yak, right?
1: Uh, I had some yak. Yeah. I had some horse. Um, I had some beef. Yeah. Uh, I had some stuff that I'm not sure what it was. Sure. Uh, I didn't want to ask. Um, uh, they like potatoes, and you know, it's hard to get in 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 the. Winter Are you time, one
0: obviously. of these people that travels and then seeks out weird things? Well, I'm talking. I'm thinking bush <laughs> tracker trials. Se-
1: seeking out weird things. It might be a bit harsh. I I like <laughs> I like to get. A, a, a real experience. Yes, okay. Um, so street food. So street food or yeah. local restaurants yeah. or local markets and I'll try stuff, yeah. you know, I, I mean I've eaten some strange stuff over Insects the years. on sticks. In, insects. Deep fried insects in Southeast Asia. Yes. Uh, I've eaten snake, crocodile, kangaroo, I like sweet, sweet meats? Um, snake, not so much, but yeah, no, I didn't really like that too much. Cro- crocodile was good, Yeah. solid fish, kangaroo is gorgeous. Um, Springbok in South Africa probably the nicest meat I've ever had.
0: It's amazing how much we've changed isn't it really because I mean i I'm in Terengganu at the moment, and my local butcher has emu. I'm mm. <laughs> like, how did this happen? That you know, because it's very lean and full of protein, and yeah. you know. So we have we have got definitely got more adventurous. Oh, for sure. But I don't think we're quite at the insect stage yet. Although there are quite a few farmers moving in that direction but in terms of there's, proteins.
1: There's not much of a taste to them, to be honest. It's right. more the it's more the sensation, the crunch, the, the crunch. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've never eaten an uncooked insect. Okay. I not well. At least to my knowledge, I haven't. Okay, I'm going to put you forward for a celebrity
0: next. The next one, get me out yeah, of here. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm not sure how long it would and and I'm certainly no, no. I, I I don't think I'd want to do that.
0: Where out of all those 66, where would you go back to? Oh
1: God. Um, there's a lot I'd go back to. Yeah. I would go back to Mongolia in the morning. Yeah. Um, uh, since I lived in Australia, I've only been once. I'd like to go back and visit there. Yeah. Um, places that are fairly easily accessible croatia is an incredible place Yeah, uh, and getting away from the resorts yes, so yeah. you know, I've been there a few times hired a car and driven um really lovely people again yeah resilient and tough and, yeah. and hardened by their experiences the middle east is really interesting because of that clash of extreme wealth and Almost extreme poverty, yeah, and and where those cultures meet, but getting away from the shiny buildings and sure. and that, you know, to to meet the real people, yeah, is highly recommended. Whether that's in uh, Dubai or Abu Dhabi or Oman yeah. or wherever, Israel I really liked. Yeah, now, I don't agree with the politics, but I really liked the people that I met. Incredible history, uh, incredible history, yeah. um, really nice place to Stay, I, I stayed in, and I remember the hotel uh, the first time I went. I stayed in a place called the Dan Tel Aviv, uh, just down the road from the US Embassy, uh, literally on the beach. Wow.
0: Um,
1: and to, at night, in loads of little bars that are on the yeah, beach, it r- yeah. really cool and lovely uh, local markets there. Yeah, uh, really good food culture. Yeah, um, hard to do business with. <laughs> uh, because <laughs> uh, I was there, I was the, uh, the, I've been there two or three times, and it was all work. Yeah, um. But I, I always try to carve out some time for myself, even if it's only for a half a day, or a few hours, to to wander.
0: I've got this impression that you might be sitting at home, with you know, closing your eyes, spinning a globe, and just sticking your finger out to see where it ends. Is that how you're planning things, or are <laughs> but, you more strategic in terms uh, of
1: going uh, places? I'm a bit more selective than that. So a lot, <laughs> a lot of the travel I did was was through work. But you know, I, I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking very specifically about the next one, right? Um. And I want to go back to the to the high mountains. Um, so I have, I have. How many have, mountains have you climbed? Oh, lots of them. More than twenty. Oh, easily. More
0: than a hundred. We, we're talking. We're talking proper mountains now. Um, <laughs> I know we only have Karen Tool here, but like uh, uh, you know, we're talking about actual trekking, mountain trekking. right?
1: Uh, more than twenty, less than hundred. Okay, somewhere, somewhere in there. Okay. Uh, but I, I, I'm I'm looking at Argentina and. Uh, Mount Aconcagua which is the highest mountain outside of the Himalaya. Why mountains? Uh, oh when I was 11 That my dad, says it yeah, all. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the mountains. Yeah. Uh, when I was 11 my dad brought me up Cairn Tool. Yeah. He my dad was a, he's, well he was a scout he's not a scout anymore but he, well, he is but he can't be because of ill health but um he loved the outdoors. Yeah. Uh So as an 11 year old he brought me up Cairn Tool. Uh, I, I actually wrote about this on LinkedIn recently. Um and in doing so gave me a huge gift and that was the gift of it, of just adventure. Yeah. And, and I take it everywhere with me. But it, it's it's uh, the mountains are it's peaceful. Mm. It's challenging. And for me it's the ultimate of adventures. Yeah. You know, mountains are, yeah, we can see them, but you know, what you see from ten miles away yeah. versus what you see up close are very different. You know, when you're when you're on a mountain, um, and you go off off track, let's yeah. say, um, you come across all sorts of challenges along the way. You know, a, a ledge that you didn't expect, or or, right. or something that that's blocked off, you can't get that way. You got to find another route. Um, weather challenges, uh, weather challenges, of, you know. of course. Uh, you know, it's a really good teacher. Mm. Mountains are, um, and I just love being in the mountains. I I and I've, I, you know. I've spent an awful lot of time in the mountains on my own.
0: Mm.
1: Um, now, I don't recommend that to everybody. I've been going to the mountains since I was a kid. Yeah, uh, I'm trained to to be in the mountains. Yeah, uh, so it's not advisable for everybody yeah. just to up and head what, off to the What mountains. is
0: it that it gives you? I mean, it's obviously a sense of solitude and and, and serenity. Mm-hmm. But it's, what else?
1: It can be space to think. It can be space to just clear the head to just be. I will. I, I will go to the mountains and sit and write in a journal or write ideas or you know yeah, expand in a mind map or something or I'll just go and wander Yeah. Um, nowadays when I go to Tool and I've been I can't tell you how many times mm. I'm going down, I, I'll pick a starting point and beyond that I don't know where I'm going I, sorry, I know where I'm going but I haven't chosen a route Right. Uh, so I'll do that as I go, uh, sometimes I'll take the, the well trodden route and other times I'll Go off, off trail and the
0: road less traveled.
1: Well, one of the one one of the side mountains. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and find my way, find my way to Cairn Tool. But, and that's very enjoyable. But I approach my work that way too. Yeah, it's, I think, doing what I do, I have to be adaptable. Yes, because I'm not the guy, and, and John isn't the guy. We're not going to come into a room to deliver some training and just stand in front of a lecture with people. Right, right. We want to have conversations. We're not going to go into a meeting with, with, with senior managers with, uh, here's what you need to do. We want to have a conversation with them and see what perspectives they have and, and, and start to mould something yeah. that's unique to them, as opposed to giving uh, a predetermined solution without even, even really knowing what the problems are. Right. Which is what a lot of the, what a lot of the big six firms do right. in terms yeah. of consulting. You of course, know? yeah. Uh, and that, for me, doesn't work. And it's actually part of the leadership problem, too.
0: If I was to give you a magic wand and mm-hmm. said you can fix anything, but you're only allowed to fix one thing in the world, what would it be?
1: Greed. Mm. We're sitting here the day after a horrible atrocity in the US. Yeah. Um, and that, that atrocity was enabled because of greed. Yeah. Go, yes, guns were, were a problem guns are there so that people can make money Yeah. Uh, so that politicians can stay in power if I could fix anything it would be greed
0: amazing answer Brian Downs intrepid traveller mountain <laughs> man it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today I wish you every every success with performance nerds and if the listeners would like to reach out to you LinkedIn
1: is the best way absolutely
0: Thank I look you very forward much. to hearing about your next adventures in Argentina or wherever they may be and listeners I'll speak to you next month